Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and certainly hope you're having a nice weekend. Later, encouraging news for Kentucky made bourbon with tariffs coming down. Still challenges remain. Eric Gregory from the Kentucky Distillers Association will be joining us later. But first, the day after last week's elections, Kentucky's filing window opened up for 2022 candidates and some have already made their intentions known. Richmond Mayor Robert Blythe was there bright and early to file for re-election. Not long after that, City Commissioner Kristen Arnold also filed for the office and will challenge Blythe. So we'll be covering that race. Of course, there may be others who file. Today, we are talking with Blythe, who grew up in Richmond and has seen it grow from a medium-sized county seat to Kentucky's sixth largest city. It's the second largest city in central Kentucky. There is no end in sight to the growth, it would appear, with EKU in the middle of town, I-75, runs right through it. Richmond increasingly attracts people for shopping and professional services from southern and eastern Kentucky as well. And some uh, commute to jobs in Lexington or elsewhere. They find it uh, their money goes farther by buying or renting a home in the Richmond area. Growth is a balancing act and Mayor Blythe knows that. Richmond Mayor Robert Blythe is joining us. Thanks for coming. We appreciate it very much. Bill, thank you very much for this privilege and opportunity and I truly count it as such. You served on the city commission for years before being elected mayor right. in 2018. Why have you decided that you want to extend your length of service to the city? Thanks for that question. I've decided that there are some things still undone that I would like to work with a board of commissioners to uh, bring about for the city of Richmond. We're still looking to recruit industry and retail uh, certainly with housing developments and so on. So there are things undone. I would like for Richmond, I think the bottom line, is to be a destination and continue to work to make it such. You have a challenge. Uh, Kristen Arnold, a city commissioner uh, who serves right there with you uh, in City Hall, has uh, filed for mayor as well. Uh, uh, how do you uh, anticipate uh, a campaign uh, going in these months ahead? I will campaign as I always have. <clears throat> I will uh, continue to do things in the city with the people. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, one of the persons who works in City Hall said to me one day, said, Mayor, the people will have no doubt about uh, what you're doing because you wind up on the front page almost every day out with the people. Uh, giving keys to the city to those who are centenarians, those who turn a hundred years old. And that, that's the joy of mayoring. In fact, that term mayoring came from a third grader when I first became mayor, spoke to a group of kids in an after-school program. And one of those kids asked the question, how's the mayoring going? And ever since that day, I've been talking about the mayoring and it's going well. And yet there are tough decisions along the yes, way, and are. sometimes uh, close votes uh, that are uh, that are taken. Uh, we uh, we mentioned uh, growth and opportunities yes. and challenges that uh, that that brings. Uh, there are some major housing developments under construction now. You yes. can see that even from the interstate driving through, and the city uh, recently approved a plan for a, a massive yes. uh, development near Richmond Center. There will be correct. residential and apparently some commercial. Uh, a lot of concerns were raised about that. That's right. That was, uh, was that a tough decision? And it really was. And, and let me explain how I approached it. 
by the time the mayor votes in the five votes of the Board of Commissioners, when the clerk calls the roll, mayor's is the last vote. And what happened in that meeting, uh, I think there was full support. There was a, one other person, however, one other member, who voted no. I voted no also, but not because I did not respect the project and want to see the progress, but because three votes had already been cast, yes, which means that the motion to adopt had passed. I voted no, and I prefaced my, my vote by simply saying, I want to respect, however, two things. One, the great concern that comes from the people who live in the immediate area as to the impact of this. But the second thing is the access roads in the area will have to be further developed in order to accommodate. So I said I'm giving a representative vote because the motion had already passed by the number of votes so that we can respect those who still have concerns and because we've not addressed with the transportation cabinet what might be done in order to accommodate. Do you have concerns about the uh, you know, overflow of traffic uh, in that area? I do because I actually, Bill, my approach is to put my eyes on my, just personally, any matter that comes before us. So I went out there and sat one day in my vehicle and watched. Something scared me. Because of the little two-lane road, Barnes Mill, I noticed the traffic had come to a standstill. And I said, if one of my fire trucks, one of my police cruisers, or one of our ambulances needed to get through that intersection to, to help someone, they couldn't do it. There is no uh, lane on the side, emergency lane. And that, that's what worried me and, and caused me to vote as I did, not because I was not in favor of the project, but there were too many unanswered questions. Will it be important, you think, that the city work with the, the state and try to get some uh, it certainly bigger will roads? Be. As that project begins, I think it would be necessary. Mayor, is it fair to say that you, you took a, a similar tact uh, on, on the issue of Sunday alcohol sales? Yes. You, you indicated there was conflict uh, in your mind about that as well. Yes, Bill, and I said that, again, thinking of some others, because the motion had passed by the number of votes cast already. But as a pastor, I said, I know there are folks who don't like the idea of mixing the word alcohol and Sunday, but, but we already were doing it anyway. So I simply said, in the, in the, in, out of respect for, in the interest of those who simply would not want us to do that any further, even though we're already doing it, I'm going to cast a representative no vote. There is an effort underway to better plan in the region, in central Kentucky, yes. to have some coordination. Uh, do you think that is missing in central Kentucky when uh, cities want their own distinct uh, personalities and identities, but also if you look at it together, it's a, it's a region of uh, more than half a million people? That's exactly right. And we are territorial. Uh, Richmond wants to be Richmond, Berea wants to be Berea, Lexington, and so on. Yet, there are some things, one of the things that's obvious, if you drive down South 25 toward Berea, from Richmond to Berea, you'll notice that it isn't very far between the city limits signs anymore. And we're going to have to work together in order to achieve what is good for all of us, for all of us and for each of us. And we'll have to approach this, yes, looking regionally 
And I understand too that that may be a great approach for getting monies. When you, you look at the, the, the jagged way of the annexation, there is some of Berea that is north of some of <laughs> Richmond, right? It, <laughs> Even it's, though most people think of the cities as, you know, 10 miles apart or exactly. so. Exactly. In fact, if you see the city of Richmond map, it appears that there's some kind of an animal with a long tail that runs down Highway 25. So, yes, indeed. Uh, merge government has come up again in Franklin County, in Frankfurt. Uh, there, there's at least some talk of that in the discussion. There's been some talk of that uh, in uh, Madison County and in Richmond, Berea. Uh, do you have a stance on merge government? There has been some discussion, not very much, but uh, in fact, I understand perhaps for some it might even have been an issue uh, in a couple of previous elections wasn't on ballot or anything, just talk. But uh, at the same time, uh, it's not a, a matter that I am at this point in favor of. We, I see some things that perhaps we can do together, and the three of us, the representatives of the three governments, the county judge executive, Reagan Taylor, Berea's mayor, Bruce Fraley, and myself, we get together, Bill. It's not a business session, not a business meeting. The three of us get together for coffee and we just talk. We ask how each is doing, how their communities are doing as such, and then we just drop on the table an issue or two that perhaps some folks have been talking about. We make no decisions. We just try to make sure that the avenues for conversation are open, which I understand in one of my regional meetings uh, when I mentioned to some folks, some judges and uh, mayors, that I had been speaking with the mayor of Berea and the county judge executive, and someone turned and looked at me and said, you mean you all talk? I said, yes, we talk. I don't know any other way to get done what we have to do. Do you or does the city of Richmond uh, communicate uh, and coordinate in a similar way with Eastern Kentucky University, which yes. is obviously the, the large employer and the, yes, an economic engine there? They have to be a player at the table. And we, we try the very best we can to promote the concept of town and gown. And uh, there are things, in fact, some of the uh, events, annual events that have come through the past couple of months, we had to go to the table and, and uh, uh, cooperatively reschedule some things just because they were conflicting and we didn't want uh, the kind of conflict that could come from that scheduling. Mayor, you have uh, seen history in the city that you grew up in. You have made history there yourself. Uh, what would you like to see accomplished uh, in the next four-year period if you were to be reelected? Well, for one thing, we're continually recruiting and working with the state industry. And uh, after hearing some of the developments, for example, uh, with the Toyota uh, operation in Georgetown, and with what's coming in Glendale and so on. I would like for Richmond, because we have at this point uh, the land, I would like for us to be able to attract to that acreage and some other places in our immediate area uh, some notable industries. Maybe a spinoff, maybe the one, maybe potentially yes. the battery plant? Or yes, indeed, we've been thinking about that very thing. And one of the reasons is because of a new industry uh, in our industrial park that uh, has as its business 
the kind of thing they're doing over there. So I'm hoping that maybe there can be some kind of a spinoff there. There's a challenge with homelessness. Uh, Lexington yes. certainly faces it, and Richmond uh, with its growth, and uh, as we said, the sixth largest yeah. city in, in, in the Commonwealth uh, also faces that. And, yes. uh, are you making any strides in addressing that? Bill, let me, before I address that, let me say this. You say sixth largest. It is my understanding that my dear friend, Mayor Tom Prather over in Georgetown is now celebrating that he is now sixth and we are seventh. Well, it's close on that it's population. It's close, exactly. And, so. and I'm not sure that the final numbers uh, make it clear, but we'll check yeah. that. Okay. But now, now to the issue of homelessness. <laughs> it's within a few hundred, right? It, yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. But uh, uh, with the issue of homelessness, let me tell you what we've done. There are some things, of course, we want to do, but let me tell you what we've done. Last year, we were able, through the winter, uh, to get a grant, a housing grant of $50,000. We used that in cooperation with a local hotel to house the homeless during the bad weather. Talk about cooperation. And many of the churches of our community then provided three meals a day. We would, in fact, I did it myself, but we actually would go to the hotel in the evening give three bags of food to each of those persons who were staying overnight. There was a dinner meal, then there was a breakfast and a lunch meal. We actually did that. And here's a good thing, with some of the ARPA funds that are coming, the uh, rescue plan, we have already approved that our city manager will be allowed to use or to uh, designate $50,000 so whether or not we get the grant again for this winter, we're already going to make sure that we're housing the homeless. In addition, two years ago, I uh, was able to bring some folks together with the help of the team in City Hall to have what I called the Mayor's Conference on Homelessness in Richmond. The room was filled, standing room only, because we found that there was such an interest and folks were asking, why doesn't somebody do something? And I said to myself, Robert, you sit in the mayor's chair. Why not you? And when those people came together, it was out of that that the room in the inn, that this uh, room in the inn extension by using the hotel and those kinds of things, they came from that gathering. You had the uh, first uh, Millstone Festival, uh, which uh, I, I know the, the city celebrated, and uh, it's the holiday season now with yes. the events going on. In, in, last question here. Is it important to you that, uh, that a city be fun? It definitely is important because one of the things we got from people who attended the festival, they, they were smiling and they said, we're just glad to be out. And I thought, yes, indeed. And, and they were having fun. They were learning things. They were buying stuff uh, from vendors and and we were having fun. Yeah. Pandemic's been a challenge. It has been a tremendous challenge. We've tried to take care of our employees, make sure they were safe and healthy, to uh, take measures necessary when we did have a case uh, along the way, but we've, we've been able to, uh, to survive this thing thus far. Mayor Robert Blythe of Richmond, thanks for being here. Thank we you, my friend. It. Hope you'll stay with us now on Kentucky Newsmakers. In just a moment, we'll hear from Eric Gregory of the Kentucky Distillers Association. Some challenges and some good news for the bourbon industry. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Kentucky's bourbon industry has been seeing explosive growth in recent years, but a 25% tariff on bourbon in European markets that started in 2018 had dragged down demand. Now an agreement will end the tariffs just as they were set to double. While the industry is celebrating that, supply chain issues are making it hard for distilleries to get bottles and corks as the holiday season is approaching. Eric Gregory is president of the Kentucky Distillers Association and he joins us. Best of times and tough times. The best of the times and the worst of times. <laughs> no, it's the best of times. This is this is great news. Well, what does that tariff uh, relief uh, mean for Kentucky's bourbon industry? Wow. Well, it means the three-year nightmare is over. Uh, these were, as you said, these were imposed in 2018, and we were on a 97% growth trajectory in the, in the few years leading up to that. So exports to mostly the EU and the UK were booming, um, but it was like putting the brakes on a freight train. Um, I mean, our EU exports plunged about 48 uh, percent, and the UK, after they left Brexit, was over 50 percent. So uh, this means that we'll be able to start shipping a lot more bourbon overseas now, uh, and uh, we won't be losing hundreds of millions of dollars in good Kentucky uh, value in exports. Uh, that market, though, did drop considerably. Do you expect it to recover quickly? Uh, th that's or a great do, question. Or do people move on to other options? Well, that, that's been our fear that if this got, went on a lot longer, that you know a tariff is a tax, so you're essentially putting a 25% tax, almost a 50% tax, to the bottles on the shelves, and do you lose consumers who see their bourbon is more expensive, and then they move on to something like scotch? Um, I, I think we'll be able to keep those consumers uh, that we lost and rebound pretty quickly, but the next few months will, will tell us. Governor Bashir played a role, we yes, understand, did. in in helping get the tariff deal through. He did. Uh, he's been friends with uh, new Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo back when she was governor of uh, Rhode Island. And uh, I can't tell you how many times he picked up the phone and called her. He went to see her in Washington and, and really kept just beating the drum on, this is killing our bourbon industry, you've got to help us with this. Uh, so uh, we're very, very impressed and very uh, appreciative of his support. Uh, tell us about the numbers of people who are employed uh, through, uh, directly or indirectly, right. through the bourbon industry. Uh, well, right now we're about an $8.6 billion industry. Uh, we employ over uh, 20,100 people, that's direct and indirect, and that carries a billion dollars in payroll each and every year. You know, while uh, the bourbon makers are celebrating the tariff relief, uh, there are some other challenges out there that uh, we're learning about. The supply chain problems hitting every industry, it, it seems. Uh, and that is playing out uh, for bourbon makers as well. It is. Glass right now is hard to get, especially if it's a custom bottle or a larger bottle. Uh, and it's the same issues that a lot of manufacturers are seeing, and mostly transportation costs. Uh, they're making it, we just can't get it here. And if we ship out a cargo uh, a container to get it, we, we can't get it back. So uh, don't be surprised if the next couple of months, if you go looking on the shelves for your favorite uh, bourbon, if it's in a special bottle, or maybe the larger, the handle bottles, that it may not be there. Um, but you can still get in other bottles. So don't get, don't get too frustrated. Well, There's plenty of bourbon to go around. Is it a matter of if people hurry now, they might find it, or, or is it, uh, are we already it's, there? It's already being yeah. impacted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been impacted for the past couple of months. Uh, it's just getting worse and worse as this uh, supply chain issue continues to progress. How key is the holiday season for uh, the spirit industry? Huge, huge. Uh, you know, uh, well, let's hope that it continues to be huge. You know, we're on the other side of COVID, knock on wood. Um, but, you know, people are going to parties and having events, and people give a lot of spirits and bourbon as gifts in Kentucky. My dad used to give 
bottles out of Christmas, you know, so it is one of our biggest times of year, if not the biggest times of the year. The Kentucky legislature uh, starts meeting in January. They have a, a lot to try to get done, including the state budget. They're going to have to do redistricting, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot happening, as you well know. And yet there are industries, including the bourbon industry, that uh, has some things you would like to have their attention on. Yes, obviously, uh, taxes are always one of our number one issues. And Kentucky remains the only place in the world that taxes aging barrels of spirits. So if you're enjoying a bottle of 18-year-old uh, bourbon, that thing has been taxed 18 times uh, from the time it was barreled to the time it's dumped. Uh, and that puts us at a competitive disadvantage with other states because being the only place in the world uh, that does this, other states that are recruiting distilleries use that to against Kentucky, use it to their advantage. Why do you want to go there if you know, you're going to pay this tax immediately when you start up? So uh, we've been talking to the legislature for years about this, and uh, we're hoping that we can convince them to make uh, the barrel tax credit, which was implemented in 2014, refundable, like the film credits. Um, and we will pledge to put that money back into our Kentucky facilities. You can write that into law and, uh, and use it to create more jobs and expand even more. As Kentucky has embraced bourbon and its history and its heritage, we have seen tourism climb, I mean, directly from, yes. from, from bourbon. Uh, those destinations along the, the bourbon trail, do they continue to have a bright future? They do. Um, now, COVID hit us like everybody right. else. When the bars and restaurants shut down, we shut down as well for about three or four months. Um, and last year, we lost about 66% of our, our attendance uh, because of COVID. But things are back this year. and. It uh, used to be everybody called me and said, can you get me a bottle of this? Can you get me a bottle of that? Nowadays, people are calling me and saying, man, I want to go to Maker's Mark, but it's sold out. Can you get me in Maker's Mark or Woodford Reserve or any other, other uh, tourism destinations? So, yes, they're seeing a, a, a rebound that's quicker than we expected. Uh, in fact, most are going to reservations right now because there's such a flood of visitors. So if you are planning a trip to a distillery, please plan ahead and go online and check out and see if you can book a reservation before you go out to the distillery. And do you see the Bourbon Trail continuing to expand? Oh, yes. Um, so we're at 18 Kentucky Bourbon Trail distilleries on the big trail. Um, and then on our, our sister trail, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour, which showcases the state's micro distilleries, we're at 23 now and i think we've got six more distilleries joining the trails next year uh so you know it's great because this this means people have to come back to kentucky if they visit you know six or seven then they got to come back now and visit the rest or visit the new ones are young people coming into uh, the, the industry in the numbers that you would like to see in terms of uh, uh, the, for opportunities that may be there in business or their careers uh, and and are they buying Yes, uh, well, I'll take buying first. Yeah, the bourbon market is a younger demographic, um, and that's something that the distilleries have been marketing to, you know, obviously of age, um, because if you can continue uh, a young demographic in the market, you may have them for a generation, right? That's what happened to bourbon back in the 70s and 80s. It was your dad's drink, or worse, your grandfather's drink, and people stopped drinking it. So now we're gonna try to capture them at a younger age so we can continue to keep them for years, and the young drinkers want something that's authentic, right? The millennials, uh, and you can't get anything more authentic than Kentucky bourbon. I mean, you can come here and see it made from grain to glass. Um, now, as far as the workforce, just like everybody else, we're having workforce issues. Uh, and um, one of the biggest obstacles is trying to convince students now that your name doesn't have to be Beam or Samuels or Russell uh, to get in the bourbon industry. Um, there are 150 different jobs in the industry you'll never touch the liquid completely so we're working more with the colleges and universities to try to get students interested in the industry as a career 
um, but, but even before they turn you know, 21. Uh, now, one thing that we really need to do a better job of, and we've been working on this, especially in the last couple of years, is diversity. We've got to have a more diverse workforce. We're mainly a predominantly white male workforce. We need more women. We need more black people. We need more people of color across the board. Eric Gregory, thanks for coming by. I really Anytime. appreciate it. Good to see you. Updating us on what's happening with bourbon. Yes, sir. <laughs> and we'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. A historic international deal could be the biggest change to global tax rules in decades, but it has not yet gone into effect. Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has more. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. The G20 endorsing a global minimum tax rate for the world's largest multinational corporations. The amount? 15%. White House economic advisor Heather Boucher explained it to us. For decades now, we've had this race to the bottom where, you know, one country will lower taxes or create these tax havens. And what that means is that every country is then stripped of the resources they need to make the investments they need in their communities, in their country. And so by coming together and saying, hey, let's stop this race to the bottom. Let's have a sane system so that we can all have the revenue we need to do what we need for our, for our nation's peoples. That is the goal. 136 countries have signed on to this deal. Together, they make up more than 90% of the global economy. Now, you might think a corporation could still stash money in a country with a lower tax rate, one that didn't enter the accord. And you are right. But that company would not be in the clear. Its home country could collect the difference, so the company would still end up paying at least 15%. This global pact does another key thing. It changes who can impose taxes. A company is typically taxed by countries where it has a physical presence. But this deal would let countries impose taxes on the world's richest companies based on where their goods and services are sold. That means the U.S. would have to share tax money from U.S.-based companies like Google and Amazon as other nations start taxing them. But the U.S. would start collecting taxes from foreign companies' U.S. sales. Now remember, this pact is not in effect yet. Congress still has to draft and vote on legislation, and other countries must do the same. If all goes as planned, we expect the deal to take effect in 2023. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. All right, a lot of moving parts there, obviously, and uh, you can find out more by watching Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren. It's coming up this morning at 11.30 on WKYT. Certainly do want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. I'll see you this week on WKYT News, and certainly hope you make it a good week ahead.